0: Hello everybody, welcome back to the Frog Snacks podcast. I am Snacks here with me as always is Frog. Uh this is episode 34 35 34. Uh, we never know what the fuck We, we never know. We have no clue. Anyway, this uh today's uh today's topic is something that Frog and I have been talking about for the past uh 2 weeks a little bit here and there. Uh, a few articles were written about it, and uh we 've had some time to mull it over um, the 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 topic at hand is whether or not games can uh sort of f- fill the role that music did in the in the sixties and seventies and be sort of a uh, you know a, a vox populi and in uh, enacting social change or you know, quelling social unrest, things like that. Um, uh, uh, There were two articles uh, that were written um, that were directly related to this. Frank and I talked about it on Saturday, and uh, I got them up here right now. Um, The first one was written by uh, our buddy Jeremy Parrish. And... And it is about specifically Persona Five, um, and how uh, how he he believes that Persona Five is sort of uh, you know putting on blast the argument against the the Japanese military, uh, you know, gaining momentum as it as it hasn't in the past like seventy years.
1: Among another, a bunch of other things, a because it's also is going to kind of be like. And this is something the developers have talked about since the beginning of the Persona 5 project, which is kind of the idea that this game is going to kind of reflect on the current state of malaise in society. Uh, You know, anybody in the U.S. that would be listening to this will know that, especially for younger people, it's a very, very uncertain time. Uh, The economy has been pretty shaky, if you're not loaded anyway yeah and it's been uh much harder for a lot of younger people to get their careers and their lives started you know relative to the baby boomers and a lot of older people were at the same you know portion of their lives so for five kinda is gonna kind of take that head on in that the heroes are it's gonna be anti heroes of this of this uh particular title and one of the things they're going to be doing is kind of, you know, in their own, they're going to be rebelling in their own way. So it's a very, it's a very specific, you know, discussion or a very particular moment in time. And the reason that I thought that Jeremy Parrish's analysis of this was so interesting was because, as you just mentioned, he draws the parallel between games now and you know what rock music was, and and I would also add soul music, once people like Marvin Gaye got involved,
0: right. In and the then the sixties and seventies, right. And even if you even if you take, uh, I mean, the sixties, it was it was known like you know rebel music and all this other stuff. But uh, I heard a really interesting uh, analogy to what you just mentioned, where like you know you have you have soul soul music that was you know very active in you know the the civil rights movement in the sixties. And, you know, you had rock music in the, you know, just general anti-establishment type feel of the decade. But if right. you go into the 70s, uh, the same thing was happening with uh, punk rock and reggae. And there was mm-hmm. a, a band called uh, Bad Brains out of D.C. And they were, uh, you know, they were black guys from D.C. And they were playing reggae music. And uh, they, you know, at the same time, uh, D.C. was a hub of like hardcore political punk and it was, you know, mostly happening in the suburbs, you know, white kids and stuff. And uh, Bad Brains decided that they wanted to do a, a hardcore punk album. And uh, I want to say this is like 1980 and uh, – or like the late 70s. And there was this really cool interview because they were – and they were like, what What made you just like completely want to just break into this thing? And they were like, we didn't really break into anything because we just we went to a few hardcore shows and we just noticed that these these white kids from the suburbs were doing the exact same thing, but with a different style of music. Like yeah. we weren't talking about different things. So yeah, I mean the same the same thing happened into the seventies with two different you know demographics and two different genres of music, but the the sentiment was still there.
1: Absolutely, uh, and as you said, the whole the whole bedrock of punk music is, is that sense of you know, pissed off young people. Yep. You know. It is a different spin for reggae because of course, like told me before, it's more of a, a very danceable type type, you know, type of thing, but at the same time, we're gonna be making our views very starkly known. Yeah. You know? So now as far as whether the real source of discussion I guess is whether or not that games in general are going to be doing And it's an interesting thing. I would imagine that if it's going to happen in any real form, frankly, it's fairly surprising that a game as prominent as Persona 5 will tackle this game in such a a head-on manner. But I would more expect to see this kind of commentary coming out of the indie movement. Yeah, definitely. As As it started
0: out in music.
1: Right, exactly. Um, a great example already, as I'm just thinking about it, is uh, a game we saw, Facts, uh, that game Y2K. Right. Remember that? Yep. Which is, for those people that don't know what this is, it's a, this is a very beautiful, by the way, RPG that's coming out later this year, uh, where you're basically going to be in the shoes of this dude who came out of college with his art degree and now has no particular direction in his life or opportunity. And so he gets broke into this, you know, kind of, to me, it looked like kind of like an Alice in Wonderland type adventure. Uh And it kind of goes from there. It's a very tongue-in-cheek type of thing, but at the same time, it's another, it's another voice of, hey, here we are in this, you know, crappy situation, you know. Um, I just think it's going to be, that game particularly is going to be interesting, but it remains to be seen whether more developers are kind of going to be taking this and and running with that idea.
0: Yeah, it's um, it, it, I, I when I first read about it, I was like, oh, interesting, great. And then I started thinking of other games that sort of reminded me of this because you know, like uh, putting political undertones in games is not necessarily a new thing, but. You know, I mean I was uh I e Metal Gear. Yeah, Metal Gear, highly politically, you know, uh motivated game. Um even a uh, Bioshock Infinite, right? It, the whole the whole I mean, Bioshock Infinite was made made lots of, you know, not exactly subtle commentary on American government.
1: Indeed. Right. I, I was by the way, I was chuckling at your use of the term Fox popular earlier. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. That's a good
0: one. I like that. And I like, uh, hoi polloi. People don't use hoi polloi anymore. (laughs) I don't even know that one. Hoi polloi is, is just like, um, just like, uh, the, like the general masses. So if you were to, if you were to say like, uh, oh, the, the, the athletic hoi polloi, it, you would be referring to like all jocks, right? Or like the, the political hoi polloi, you would be, you would be describing like everybody that works on Capitol Hill. (laughs) <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the exact... Let me just, hold on, let me just dictionary And it's really going to be...
1: I believe I even more because when you talk about Capitol Hill, I'm sure people have much more interesting terms for those folks than
0: but <laughs> that, that's, uh, yeah. really Hoi Poloi. Yeah, Hoi Poloi is, is Latin. Therefore, it makes me sound smart when I say it. But <laughs> but yeah, hoi, hoi polloi is a good one. Vox Populi, that's a good one. Um, my, you know my Latin uh, ends there, I think. Um, But anyway, the, yeah, the, what was I, what was I saying? Right. Oh yeah. So, so, you know, Bioshock Infinite, uh, Metal Gear Solid, all these games uh, have, have had, you know, very overt uh, political references and political commentary and all this other stuff. Right. And I, uh, you know, so it's, it's not necessarily a new thing, but it's, you know cuz there's a there's a there's a very fine line between simple commentary and you know trying to like spearhead or ride on top of uh, a movement right. right, And you know, we're kind of, we're kind of getting to the point, you know, like we, we got, uh, we're reaching the, we're reaching the beginning of an election cycle in, in the United States. Uh, there's, I, there was a lot going on in Japan that I wasn't really aware of until I read this Jeremy Parrish article. Uh, you know, he, he talks about, um, the Japanese government is, uh, uh, becoming a little bit more aggressive with military spending. Um, oh, know, yeah. It, it, that has been, in, in Japan, that has been a, a shit show. See, I had no idea. And then, you know, I mean, per- Persona is a very j- Japanese game. It, you know, a- aesthetics, uh, style, setting, everything about it is super Japanese. But I did not know that this was a thing. So, um, yeah, the the Japanese government is spending more on military Uh, They were very famously demilitarized, uh, like cripplingly so after World War II. And uh, they haven't really spent a whole lot of uh, time or energy on their military that much. uh, And, you know, it resulted in them becoming a first world power. I mean, like, you know, them focusing on other things as absolutely as... Something to the, do with uh, them being where the they
1: are today. after World War II.
0: Yeah, rewrote the Constitution, like, got rid of uh, the emperor. Well, like, he's still there, but he just
1: chills. <laughs> right, Yeah, did, it, it's, it's yeah. pretty... It's funny, because then you, of course, now have the people in America who are, who are jealous of the fact that because they didn't have the exorbitant military spending that you had the economic miracle that occurred in Japan. Unfortunately, yeah. of course, that evaporated. And actually... The malaise in Japan has been going on for much longer than it's been going on here. So in a certain sense, it's kind of interesting that we haven't seen much more of this kind of commentary come out of, you know, Japanese, especially with the kind of minds that we know have been working.
0: Right. Well, um, you know, I I don't know if it's I you, you have more experience with the Persona series than I do. I, I've I've played a couple of um, a couple of uh, uh, Shin Megami Tensei titles. Um, never was a huge fan, but I know you, I know you uh, among many of my other friends are really into Persona. Is this in previous Persona titles? Have have they made any sort of you know political statement, whether subtle or, or overt? Oh no no, this is so. This is brand new.
1: This is very new because the other games have been pretty extremely well-executed. Yeah. But they've been pretty much, you know, uh, murder mysteries, essentially, that follow this band of, you know, scrappy high schoolers. Right. As they try to figure things out, figure themselves out, and, you know, kill lots of monsters and stuff like that. Right. So uh, this particular bit of commentary is definitely going to be Something new for the
0: theory. Okay. Um, speaking of uh, scrappy Japanese teenagers, of which uh, dis- of which there are many, di- which th- which there are many uh, or which Japan would have us believe that there are many. Um, right. The new Disgaea came out yesterday. Two days ago. Um, Disgaea and uh, uh, our our boy Irvis got it and. I'd be int- it'd be interesting to see if they if they found a way to like snuck in some some political talk in the disguise series, which is also like very popular in Japan.
1: Well, it's interesting. The disguise series doesn't really engage in commentary, but there's a little bit of send up because one of the features they added is that you can go deal with the in-game senate, uh, like the Demon World Senate. Right. And you which, have to yeah. negotiate with them to get bills passed. That will allow you to do other things like give you more character slots and stuff like that. And it gets wild because you can like bribe people to get them to vote for you, and <laughs> or, or like straight up fight them to get in the vote. It, it's crazy. So the Disguise Kids have a, a lobby, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty much so. Yeah, if you go in there and like put yourself in front of the, the Senate, you know, so you can. Manipulate their vote in a, in a number of different ways.
0: That's Some people so can get put to
1: sleep. It's great.
0: You know what I just. You know what I just found out. And this is this is sort of. I don't know. I don't know how it works in Japan, but it's not. It's not uncommon. And I'm just learning this now. It's not uncommon for um, foreigners to make a foreign thing and sell it in whatever country that is that it is in. And it's a lot of you know. Uh, you know, political, uh, you know, criticism, but it's almost exclusively criticizing the American government. And I'm, Mm. I'm curious to see whether or not lobbying is as, as, uh, as loathed of a notion in Japan as it is in the United States. Um, I just recently found out that the show Veep, Mm. which, which is, um, a a political, uh yeah, it's a it's a, it's a it's a political comedy though, starring right. uh Elaine from Seinfeld. Um that whole show does a apparently does a very good job of uh explaining and recreating how, you know, deals on Capitol Hill works. I just found out today that the whole show is written by Brits. Wow um, and it's exclusively about American politics.
1: So, well, not to get too far into the weeds on this one, but uh Part of the reason that is is because America has become so adept at blasting our business through the loudest possible megaphones. So <laughs> no matter where you are in the world, it's going to be pretty hard to to, to not know some of the stuff that makes headlines here. Right. You know? And and I'm I'm a
0: uh, and this isn't the, this isn't the first one to do it, but Metal Gear Solid 5, I'm like I'm in, I'm impressed with how uh Critical it is of you know the American and Russian government of in the eighties.
1: Oh yeah, and actually with MGS Five, another one of the one of the most interesting things about it is that even though the game is in the early eighties, it still feels. I guess it's awful kind of sad. It feels very very timely. All of Mr. Kojima's games have. You know, when they come out and I play them, I'm like, wow, this is this is clearly a game of this moment in time.
0: Yeah, he does such a good job with timepieces.
1: Yeah, like and just starting in particular with MGS two. You know, MGS two were just hitting the new millennium when that one was that game in general, again, we'll be discussing this one in more detail folks, but MGS2 in general was so far ahead of its time in so many respects. Yeah. The biggest of which I think is that Kojima is talking about, you know, a lot of the, the basic grapples that we either have just started to have or just thinking about having with technology. You right. know, the whole idea of memes, for example. Who the hell else is talking about memes in 2001, you know? And the whole idea of a society where information is being controlled by the government. We just had that debate, didn't we? Mm-hmm. You know, with Edward Stone et etc. et cetera. So Kojima's been on another level as far as social commentary for quite some time. Oh, yeah. Quite some time. Uh, and then MGS, MGS4, another one in particular, sticks out in my mind. with a lot of talk of, um, you know, bringing up war in the Middle East and things of that nature. So yeah, that series in particular has been great for the crazy social commentary. But outside of you know that Bioshock Deus Ex, you can actually add as a kind of another one uh-huh. that deals with some of this stuff. But there hasn't been that many, which is somewhat surprising because we can talk about this for a second too. Uh, the fact that in general the gaming world definitely has a bit of an anti-establishment tone an undercurrent running through it. Don't you think?
0: Yeah. You know, and, and I, it's, it, it's interesting. Cause I, I don't know. It's another, it's another, uh, it's another chicken, chicken and the egg argument, mm-hmm. you know, is are you know, can video games get away with being, with being anti-establishment because it is perceived to, or historically has been perceived to be like a niche media, uh, or, you know, do they think that they can do it because they're no longer niche and they feel like they can do it uh you know and and be and be heard and actually make a thing and it's like this is because this is the whole this is the whole argument is you know while political talk and you know political nuance has always existed, you know albeit sparsely in video games, are we getting to a point now where you know, it, can it actually make a difference by being anti establishment or critical of the government or what have you?
1: Interesting point. Though I would say that uh, those two things are not really mutually exclusive. Right. For they're example, not, they're the not, what one
0: feeds into the other.
1: Yeah. Like that former question, you know, the answer is absolutely yes. You know, the fact that this has been a niche hobby for so long definitely lends itself to the, the kind of the anti establishment theme. Not to mention the fact that much of gaming as an industry's relationship to politics has been very adversarial. You know, who 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 anybody under uh or I should say over twenty can can fondly remember the Jack Thompson debacle. Yeah. You know? Yeah video uh, video
0: games have have been like a like a weird scapegoat for a lot of things you know like video games uh, occupy like a very similar space in in uh you know like american you know mass hysteria media as like heavy metal music right where like anytime right. anytime like a disturbed kid does something disturbing they're always like oh well he listened to heavy metal and he played video games like the two most violent things anyone can think of Right. And they're always they're always at the forefront of any, any sort of like, you know, domestic tragedy. You know, like that's that's messed up. But they've been they've definitely been a scapegoat on more than one occasion.
1: Oh absolutely. Frankly, I'm surprised I though, I guess this could this could uh, another sad commentary on the fact that we now have so many of these national gun tragedies now that yeah, even bothering to talk about games as a possible scapegoat is now, you know, kind of a a silly notion. Yeah. But I think that's probably the only reason why it has, because we can notice that in the last couple of years, that the instant flame of games has somewhat fallen by the wayside. I've noticed that, yeah. But I think that's really only because the number of these tragedies and shootings have increased so much that, you know, it, it doesn't even necessarily make sense, because obviously not every one of these, There's a lot of similar things about all the people that commit these crimes, but games are not necessarily one of those things. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely an interesting thing. I'm very curious to see how this is going to shake out over time. Like I said, particularly when it comes to the indie movement, because there is a lot of room for people to do these kind of, you know, interesting stories. It doesn't have to be necessarily something that's as Raisin as, as you said, let's say, Bioshock Infinite. Yeah. you know, Pretty boldly took on things like Raisin, but uh, I think there's going to be a lot of room for this kind of thing to keep going as far as social commentary. But then I guess the other side of our coin that we wanted to look at today, which was the idea of, okay, so we these games can talk about all sorts of things, right? That's great. Uh, But can we affect anything? I think the answer is absolutely. We just haven't figured out a cow yet. Though, the reason this even became a thing is, at least for our discussion now, is because there's an article from Polygon today, by Colin Campbell. Um, Actually, not today, like last week. And he was basically documenting Uh, the work of a a dude who has been who made a game with the explicit goal of trying to bring together uh, Muslim and Jewish students right so and he said basically the way it works is that it's an endless runner uh, that you have to do some co-op mechanic in and then everybody who has already made a profile on this thing at the end of your time playing the game this other person, you will then find out their mission. And so the goal being then, of course, oh, wow, I just collaborated with this person. You know, I, how can I look at them as some completely foreign entity? Right. And I think this is a super, super powerful idea because, I mean, you know, anybody knows who, who plays games. One of the things that I think is the greatest about gaming is that I think more than basically anything else, it's a chance for regular people to come together in a meaningful fashion. You know? Yeah. Like sports, yes, yeah, sports does that also, but not everybody can engage in that. Not everybody can even be remotely good, you know? Right. But nearly anybody can find a game where you can have a meaningful interaction with somebody. Like for example, Smash Brothers. Basically, anybody can go and have a meaningful interaction with another person in Smash Brothers in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And it it becomes the bedrock of so many friendships.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: definitely. Uh,
0: You know, uh, up until very recently, the fighting game community has been very personal. Like, you, you have to sit next to this person. You have to do it. It's just like, that's how it's always been. You know, with sessions and tournaments and stuff, just always existing, sometimes on the same television. Um, but this is something that video games can do that other form- that other media can't do, right? Like you can you can find somebody uh, who likes the same TV show as you on the other side of the world, you know. But how are you going to meet that person? How are you going to get to that conversation? Video games can force it because you have to do it. Together, right? Like you, right. you can you can watch TV by yourself and only talk to your friends about that show. And your friends might like it and your friends might not like it. Whatever it, it ends there. The the integration, uh, you know, ends at a very small social circle. But with this with this uh, concept in gaming, you're matched up with a random person. You have to do this thing together. You have to actively work together to finish it. You know, um, it would be <laughs> like, the only thing I can even think of is like, all right, you can't watch Netflix anymore unless somebody on the other side of the world is also streaming at the exact same time as you, you have to get put into a lobby, watch it. And then occasionally, uh, it's going to pause itself and the other person has to unpause it so you can continue watching it. And then you get to see their face at the end of the episode.
1: Like, that's but- a very strange idea, though. At the same time, I would not mind if somebody actually attempted that. What? Well, I mean. Well, not like that's the only option, but like as a side. Sure.
0: Uh. Yeah. I mean, it would. It would probably. I would see it working the same way as like Twitch with a little with a little like uh, chat thing on the side. You can, that's like, exactly what I thought. Of. You like hate on a show together with somebody from Africa. <laughs> you know, like you just put in you just put in your language so that you can actually communicate, and then that's it. Um. <laughs> you know. You like, but. I mean, okay, that's that actually sounds kind of fun, except for it, <laughs> except for except for it pausing, uh, occasionally on purpose,
1: of course. But yeah. here, let's let's unpack that a little bit because you get to the heart of, I think, what the magic of games are, generally speaking, but absolutely in re- in reference to other people, interactivity. Yeah, um, that's that's the key about, to
0: making this work.
1: Yeah, even when you talk about, for example. When you said earlier, like even if you get into, let's say, a pen pal type relationship with somebody based on some film or TV show or something, even that is kind of grafting an interactive portion on top of a essentially non-interactive medium, right? Yeah, exactly. The magic of games is that the interactivity is built into the medium from the outset, mm-hmm. and in fact, one of the greatest things about the time we're currently at is that. Game developers have spent so much time racking their brains on how to make person-to-person interaction and engagement more and more meaningful. So now you have things like—I mean, I hate to even bring it up—but you have things like Destiny running around. It's actually a pretty good example. Yeah,
0: I mean, with—I we, mean, we've mentioned it before on this on this podcast, where you know the the community aspect of Destiny is like super successful and grassroots.
1: Yeah. With this, partly because all of them... It See, this, it, that's actually... A, it's a very interesting story because you think about it. Because the success of Destiny's community, I think, partially rests on the fact that the game was whacked for a while. But it was whacked in a way not like, oh man, this is complete trash that is completely unredeemable by... Right. It wasn't... a I, I think like the
0: the general uh, consensus was this game has a ton of potential. It's sort of up to the the, ver- the very large player base to point Bungie in the right direction because they had a lot of good ideas. They were just implemented
1: incorrectly, or not implemented, or not or not implemented, yeah, <laughs> or not implemented. So yeah, it, it was it was in that very interesting place where people saw the potential, as you said, but the execution wasn't there. So it was a very much a kind of a come-together moment, and let's, let's show the guys who are putting this together, hey, this is what we want. This is how we, I think we can get from point A to the point B you probably envisioned. Uh, not that I played the Taken King or anything, but from uh, hearing the infinite chatter, it seems like they have gotten a lot closer to point B. Yeah, and it was... On top of that, of course that they can, destiny is primarily a co-op game from the get go. Yeah. So I think that's a really, really interesting kind of, uh, I don't know if you want to use the word experiment, but it's a, an interesting instance of community building, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Destiny had a really interesting, cause I was actually thinking about this. We did the episode on, uh, on the, the cycle of hype, the circle yep. of the hype, the hype cycle, mm-hmm. uh, and because because you know a lot of uh, a lot of newer things are are coming up about uh, the new Star Wars Battlefront. People are you know uh, putting up hours of beta footage and they're saying, oh, this game is actually kind of dope, uh, and it's coming out soon. And you know we're just so far away from where we were like four months ago when everybody was like you bullshit know, scandal period. W- yeah, was ju- was just like you know ringing the the like death knoll. For the game, like it was just over, and but this this uh, this hype cycle sort of happened post-release with Destiny, where this this like cycle happened as people were actually playing it.
1: In a certain sense, and,
0: and like, like that's it sort that... of built up to Destiny: uh, The Taken King, which is pretty much Destiny
1: 2.0. Yeah, it is. It literally is. Yeah, um, I see where you're going with that, even though. <laughs> I guess the, the 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 chief period of scandal was probably like the December after release, going up till around House of Wolves in May. That was, I think, when people were like the most heated.
0: <laughs> yeah, but nobody stopped playing it,
1: which was like no, the, yeah. which was like
0: the phenomenon,
1: right? Nobody seriously stopped playing it anyway.
0: Right. I I think I was the only person who like. Sold my copy, and it was only because all you guys got it for three sixty, which is which was bullshit. Like I was the only one playing on Xbox One, and I liked it. You know, I saw the potential because I did play it, and I didn't have anybody to play with. But I actually got rid of it, and I like, kind of wish I still had it. Well,
1: okay. that's it. Quick personal note: When Destiny Three comes around, I'll give it a fresh look. Really, because uh, I was rather. Dissatisfied, my.
0: You heart. you made a you made a uh, a hasty dismissal.
1: I don't know if I'd use the word hasty, but uh, I would. I would it definitely hasty dismissal is Kevin. out to Kevin. That was a hasty dismissal.
0: Ke- Kevin's middle name is Hasty Dismissal. I expected <laughs> better from you, though. I expected
1: better from you. We'll talk about that later. Okay, but the but main the, point yeah, is the point that is yeah. The community I think shows a lot of the potential for what. The interactivity of games as communities can do. So now, cycling so right. back to the article a little bit, he talks about trying to bring together, you know, uh, Jewish and Muslim students. This is, I think, a very interesting idea worth exploring. Because the, the simple, as complicated as all the game design and all the, the technology and all the fancy stuff that goes into making these games work is. It ultimately is actually trying to achieve a very, very simple thing, which is to like we said, force you to realize that uh some of those folks that you probably look at as those people are actually a lot like you.
0: Right. You know, they're they're playing this game. They're not uh building a bomb. They're playing the same game as you are.
1: Right. So it's a very touchy feeling, oh, you know, kumbaya type of moment, but I think it's a very interesting an interesting thing because what if we can possibly use games in the in this broad way to help reduce I don't know if we're gonna re- necessarily reduce the violence in any, you know, direct way, but if it's something that can help grease the wheels, if you will. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Actually, even the comments on the article kind of instantly went after it to say, hey, listen, guys, okay, this is all touchy-feely, ha-ha, happy, nice, nice, but it does not end, you know, talking about Israel and Palestine, you know, ending 400 years of enmity and things like that, blah, 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 blah. Which I think is a very fair point to make. Uh, But I I always go back personally to the whole idea of greasing the wheels. You know how can we make the productive conversations happen? You know, right? How and it, and it's it yeah, it's too, it's
0: too, it's uh, it's unfair to you know rest the weight of solving violence in the Middle East on this like one indie game, right? Like it, it, that's not that's not fair to the game. That would be like if um you know. That'd be like if uh if like uh LBJ listened to uh a Credence Clearwater Revival song and was like, Oh, you know what? Maybe Vietnam's not a good idea. Let's not go. But I just changed my mind. Thanks, Credence Clearwater Revival. Like that's not how it works. <laughs> it's exactly how it you say it is. It's it's uh you know, it's greasing the wheels. It's it's uh it's broadening the perspective of those uh, you know, unfairly thrust into this conflict. Right. Exactly. You know, like, like all the, like all the people who uh, became old enough to vote in the late 60s were listening to this music. And then, you know, when Nixon came around, he was like, oh, shit, you know, nobody likes this war uh, because I, you know, I saw, I saw pictures from Woodstock. That's a lot of people. Um, (laughs) And all these people are voting now. You know, and that's like it, that's almost exactly how all politics works, right? Like you just sort of see what people want, and you do stuff based on that, right? In like the very basic sense of uh, like Republican government, it's like right. that's that's how it works, right? So, you know, like it, yeah, it's it's unlike those commenters like are missing the point. the 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 point is to not, you know, get it's the point is isn't that like the prime minister of Israel and you know, like the uh you know ayatollah are, are going to be playing this game and they get matched with each other and they're like oh my god i've been wrong this whole time like <laughs> like i had no idea that the you know the fucking supreme leader of Iran was also into this game like that's not going to happen like that's unfair <laughs> that's un- that's unfair to postulate like you've got to like you've got to see it for what it is which is just to like get younger people uh, on the same boat as everybody not involved in the conflict. Everybody's looking at it and just being like, why can't this end? Right. Right. And it's the, you know, so it, it is serving the same purpose as, as music. Like you can't, you can't realistically look back at the sixties and say, oh yeah, Woodstock is the reason we left Vietnam. Like, no, <laughs> but you know, you can, you can attribute a change in, uh, you know, like, a you can attribute a, a change in feeling towards this conflict to, uh, you know, a lot of the things that led up to and including Woodstock. Right. Sure. So it's, it's, uh, yeah. So it, with ideas like this, uh, you know, games, um, sort of removing themselves from the, like taking pot shots from the outside type of deal that they've been involved in for like the past 20 or 30 years and moving into, more more active uh, roles in social change um, you know this is this is really the first that we 're seeing that 's putting this out there as like their business model but uh, there 's no reason why we can 't see more indie games coming up with things like this, especially with uh, with like mobile becoming a thing like you can just do some shit on your phone and you know i mean they already have so many every every, every aspect of social media has. Uh, an application for smartphones, right? right? Even ones, even ones as like carnal as Tinder, right? Where you just <laughs> find a, you just find like three pictures of one person and a short bio and decide whether or not you want to fuck them. Like it's, you know, like th- th- it's just so easy to connect that there's no reason why you can't integrate like a fun game in with it.
1: Absolutely. So and- yeah. Once you add that interactive layer, then that's something that you finally have... Something is there. Because even as you said that, I'm thinking to myself, what if two world leaders got together and said to themselves, oh, we both really like Star Wars? Yeah, and That's cool. They may bond over that for a while. And that might help, you know, that'll help grease the wheels. But how can you say that that would be more meaningful than, let's say, if they realized... They both played
0: World of Warcraft, right? Exactly. Like, and now I'm now I'm thinking, like, you know, what if uh, uh who's that? Who's that dude in Venezuela who like really hates America? <laughs> What's his name? What I the- believe it's all my Hugo Chavez. Yeah, dude. Okay. Like, what if like what if Hugo Chavez was like playing Halo and he like is talking to he's like talking trash to the other team and like. Obama's also on his team and Obama like recognizes his voice and he's like, Chavez, is that you? And he's like, (laughs) and he's like, Oh shit, is this Barack? And then they're like, and then they like start teabagging the other team. And then they're like, (laughs) yo, we
1: messed these kids up. And they're like,
0: "Yo, (laughs) (laughs) yo, we messed these kids up. And then, and then they're like, yo, are you coming to that summit next week? And he's like, hell yeah, dude, I'll see you there. And then they go and then, you know, uh, they, uh, Hugo Chavez is like apologizes or whatever and gives us um, like oil discounts. I don't know. (laughs) Like I, I I don't want to, I don't want to like, you know, like in like infantilize the world leaders of the world. But like, I don't see why two adults who are not world leaders can have that same, same exact experience, you know, or like two leaders can't have it. Like like, it's not going to happen. But the idea is not completely uh, out, of out of the question because, you know, a middle-aged man from the United States and a middle-aged man from Venezuela can very easily end up on the same Halo team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know... It, One of the few nice things about random matchmaking is that there is, a, as as rare and as... uh. As rare and unlikely as it may be, you do have the chance of being matched with somebody who will be genuinely very friendly. You may end up making friends with.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, Why can't those two people be Barack Obama and Hugo Chavez? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? knows? Um, So, yeah, I mean, the technology is there, you know, and and the want for, you know, uh, like aging world conflicts to end is also there. Uh so the um you know it, it's starting to it's starting to go into motion. What uh what my concern is um and this is this is I, I don't I don't want to bring it up because this is like you know uh supposed to be a a like you know good feely like lighthearted Uh, topic really, but I, I have to, I have to bring up like the other side of the argument. Like, I don't even know if it's, I don't know if it's the other side of an argument, but it's, it's something that you need to consider as a consumer going forward. And that is, uh, something that has happened in music, uh, and something that has probably happened in TV and movies also, but you get this, um, you get sort of this like flavor of the month mentality from the powers that be and they decide to make something in their medium of choice based on what they think will sell. And if that means talking shit about the president or whatever, uh, they'll, they'll make that and people will consume it because that is like the general that, yeah, that's the flavor of the month. So we're nowhere near that point in video games yet, but if this sort of thing catches on, you know, it's not out of the question for someone at, you know, Activision or EA to say, hey, uh, you know, all these fucking hippies are making these stupid ass games <laughs> trying to make each other friends or whatever. Uh, right. We're, we're going to have to make one and it, you know, it'll be, it, it'll be disingenuous and it like won't feel the same and people will hate it, but it will sell a lot of units and it will cost $500 million to make and, uh... <laughs> And then, it, and then it'll become a franchise, and then people will be like, "This is dumb," and like they'll have to find the new thing. Like I don't, I, I'm not telling you this is happening right now. Like open your eyes, people. But I'm saying it, it, it could totally happen in the future. It could, though.
1: I would argue that in this particular instance, uh, if any of the, and you're right because video games in general are extremely flavor of the monthy. Yeah, totally. Um, the Call of Duty flavor has been the flavor of the month for a very long time, right now. More, more than more than one month. More than one month. Uh, so, if the time comes when a lot a lot of these, uh, I guess, games with a purpose type of things catch on, uh, if it reaches the point where big budget games are made with such a concept, and as long as they derive some value of Social utility, like as long as it does help reach the wheels, who cares? You know Yeah, I, if it goes out of flavor for a while, that's not really necessarily an issue, because the game one of the nice things about the game market of 2015 is that even though they're flavor of the month, they, it, it just becomes so fast that there really is room for whatever it is you want to do. So, just because it may fall out of popular favor doesn't mean it goes away entirely or even in a significant fashion you know? yeah, true, so true. it could very well still be there, and for something like this is one thing for this you know high level concept, this high level concept, if this becomes something that is a big deal in game design, uh, I'm all for it, no matter no matter what. No matter so what. Even, even if the current flavor of the month, Call of Duty, decides to be like, hey, we're going to you know, we've seen all this design talk now about how we can really bring people together from different cultures and we're going to slap that in Call of Duty 17. <laughs> then cool, great. In fact, I applaud you. And I'm like, why not do it sooner? Especially when you have the kind of audience that that game does. Do it. Yeah. So that's not something I'm particularly concerned about. Okay, I just want to see that because I I do think that uh, games do occupy a unique space. Especially, I mean, think of things like when we go to PAX, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the ultimate example is is any large con, but specifically PAX because it is just video games.
1: Yeah, and then you go there and not only are all the people there already self-selected gamers. You know, you go and you can have the meaningful interactions with them face-to-face. And even if you don't pick up friends, you create a lot of this sound. Now we're going to really sound like hippies. You create a lot of positive energy. Oh, man.
0: Positive yeah, get my, vibes.
1: Get my flower and my pet rock out right now. We're going to... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but but it's true. You yeah. Know, all aside, It is true.
0: Yeah, like... W- what is it? We've never, uh, there's never been, um, there's never been like an act of violence at, at PAX. I think they, they like said that like two years ago or whatever. Uh, the guys who run it.
1: Yeah, absolutely not. Issued some, yeah,
0: they were like, we, they're like, we've never had, we've never had a a fight break out at PAX, you know, which is astounding because you got like
1: thousands of people, tens of hundreds of
0: thousands, hundreds of thousands of people shuffling in and out of a, of a, you know, densely populated space, uh, all trying to do the same thing. Like any other any other thing probably would result in a fight. And and there's like a bar inside the convention center in Boston. So you can't even rule out that all these people are stone cold sober either. This is true. And I definitely smell weed sometimes when I go. So like
1: but I, well, up. you know the pot smokers are not going to be fighting, right? Yeah, that's true. that's true. Except they're monkeys. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> but there's a food court in there too. There's no, there's no, uh, you know, you, you you can't you can't like make an excuse for there not being fights at packs, right? Except for these people are actually just nonviolent people and aren't there to cause trouble. Exactly. Which is. Probably, a very unique thing uh amongst enthusiasts of anything
1: even even all the more so, given how much uh you know gaming culture gets break over the polls in both popular discourse and even in the gaming media because of what goes on in the internet but that's why personally, after attending things like that, I sit so much less stock about. It all the hand wringing over the internet because I know that at the end of the day, the community that's been built around this hobby is not a negative one. It's just that there are elements. And I I even hesitate to say that there are elements within it because I, I start to believe, I'm like, man, a lot of these folks are probably just, you know, coming here to stir things up on the internet because they know they have the platform to do so. Uh, but I know that the overall, the overwhelming majority of the people involved in this hobby are here to have a good time and to, you know, actually make friends with people, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Isn't that a nice happy, feel-good note to kind of... <laughs> it it <laughs> is, It is. but we're, you
0: know, we're not even, you know, you're, we're not making this up. Like, this is, this is actually a thing, right? I mean, there are even, there are fights at... Music festivals. There are fights at sporting events. I've seen plenty of fights at sporting events.
1: Sporting events is... A lot of the people go there to fight. Yeah. The sporting events are like... Are like personalized war zones.
0: Which is so strange to me because it's like... Okay, like even... Uh, like you always hear about... Uh, like a, a, like a mom fighting a coach at like a Little League football game. Or like something, right? It, like, that, like that's always a thing. Um...
1: I've seen fights. so that's a different kind of fight, but yes, that is a thing.
0: I've seen fans fight at Yankee Stadium before. Um, you know, it's
1: it's it's. I was thinking. I was thinking more of like, yeah, the fan fight and the fan riots too.
0: Fan riots, like, oh my God, there's a there's a uh, there's like a hockey riot every year. College football riots. Uh, you even have players fighting each other like all the time uh there's been there's been uh several um instances of uh high school football teams in Texas fighting referees like 16 year old football players like punching referees in Texas
1: people get very taken very seriously i mean We could could go very far down the rabbit hole of the sociology of sports and all that. Right. But I think, suffice it to say, that I think the difference there is that with a sporting event at a high level, it is a highly competitively charged environment where everybody's there kind of to sneer at the other side. (laughs) So, expect it. You should expect to fight. But I wasn't kidding when I said dude, people go there to fight. Uh huh. You know. Yeah. So, and especially given that sports teams and sports franchises become very much become tribes.
0: Oh my god! Yeah, they're yeah they're they're totally like you. You can even you could even look at like uh, okay, so the baseball postseason is is starting. It started yesterday, right? Right. And uh, I'm actually watching the. Uh, uh, the Pirates and the Cubs playing right now right and th- social media has done a very good job with um, sports teams as of as of very recently like past five years of um, like building up communal communal pride for fan bases of a specific team like because like I've said the thing that separates sports from video games in the competitive sense is that sports are you know, uh, like provincial, you know, you, you are a fan of a team because you live there and that will never, like nothing will ever change the fact that I grew up where I grew up. I can, I could, I could, uh, I could shave my head. I could get a sex change. I could do anything. I could learn another language and then only speak that language. It will never change the fact that I grew up in that spot. right? Right. And, and social media teams for these, uh, for these sports teams do like a really inter- like interesting and creative job of like feeding into, uh, you know, like provincial pride. Absolutely. Um, like what? What was it? it was like a. So, uh, what was it okay? So they, they they got a new uh they got a new soccer team playing in New York City, right? Uh, New York had a soccer team, uh, but I you know I put air quotes around New York because they actually played in New Jersey, right? Right. They play in New Jersey. Uh, They've been around for a little while. Uh, New team this year, they're playing in Yankee Stadium, right? And they're, like, touting themselves as, like, the, quote-unquote, real New York team because this other team plays in New Jersey, which is, you know, for all intents and purposes, Utah. And, (laughs) you know, and, and it's just, like, they've created, like, they create, like, they're, they, you would, you would think that somebody has, uh, somebody who who works for the Red built Red Bulls in New Jersey built like uh like artillery encampments on the west side of the Hudson River and pointed them at Yankee State. Like you would think, you know, they and 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 they drive this point home. Like I've been to these games, right? And they have um you know, they have like this whole like before the match, they have like this whole thing where it's like uh you know, oh, we're, we're the five boroughs, like which borough do you represent? And they have like, they have like dudes coming up and they're like, and they're like, yo, we're from Brooklyn, like Brooklyn stand up. And everybody's like, woo. And then there's like some, some like Spanish guy and he's like, yo, Bronx stand up. And everybody's like, woo. And it's just like, we're here uh, because we're not New Jersey. Fuck New Jersey. New Jersey's the worst. And and it's that, that's how they market themselves. And like, how can you not take offense to that? If you're like, you know, from New Jersey and like rooting for this team. Cause you like New Jersey, right? Like, I don't, mm-hmm. it's, it's incredible. Like they're doing, the, uh, Houston made the playoffs for the first time in 10 years. Right. And, uh, they like, they're creating hashtags. They're like hashtag hustle town. Like, uh, <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah. And it's like, and it's like all of a sudden, like, how can you not be stoked to be from Houston? Like your team is, if you pay, if you even pay like a passing attention to sports, you 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 have like a new hashtag to like throw up right you've got right, like right. you know it's just like oh shit like oh man houston Houston's in the playoffs and they they won against the Yankees yesterday and eliminated the Yankees, sad face by the way, mm. you know you're just like, oh shit, go go Astros hashtag hustletown, like we are Houston or whatever, and like you know everybody gets amped who's from southeastern Texas, I guess. <laughs>
1: Right. As if they're as if they are as if as if this like suddenly they have now conquered the entire sport of baseball.
0: Right. You know, as as if this like uh, collection of uh, 25 humans is like, you know, solely representing your city in uh, this nationally televised sporting event, which it is. Right. Mm -hmm. So. uh, So, yeah, that was that was a
1: tangent. But. And, and again, a little bit, but. It, and, it, well, the yeah. point made, you made the point, which was that when it comes to sports, there's a, a distinct tribalism that sort of exists in the game community, but not nearly. Oh, the same. Level. No, because it's it's not
0: it's not constructed with that purpose in exactly. games. You know, it it sort of comes up sometimes in games. Like back in uh, you know, back in the uh like early days of melee when you had like the East Coast players uh meeting the West Coast players for the first times and you know in in tournament play they had different rules up until that point, right? Like Right. But still, nobody was, nobody was like, it didn't become like a pocket Biggie thing. You know, nobody was like, oh, like, you know, it was just like, okay, what's, what's best for the game going forward? Do we keep items in or do we take items out? And it's not like, oh yeah, to this day, East Coast players are butthurt because they don't have items in. No, like that's not how it, how it happened. Right. And there are still rules in... Uh, that ex- there are rules that exist in American football that are the result of a, a, a specific player getting um, you know tackled incorrectly or uh, a, a fumble that may or may not have been a fumble uh, committed by a quarterback that you know resulted in a rule just to clarify if the same thing were to happen again and everybody who is not from the city where. Uh, who benefited directly from this rule the first time it was implemented sort of like looks upon this region with scorn as if like they like they single handedly like people from Boston single handedly like, you know, uh, like create like set this wave of, um, you know, a- amendments into effect to protect their Precious quarterback or something, and like, and the whole rest of the country suffers to this day because of it. And it's like that didn't like th- that sentiment doesn't exist in video games, even if a even if a, a very specific regional rule set came up on top.
1: Yeah, no, of course not. Because at the end of the day, all these people are playing together, and you know, particularly in the fighting game world, we kind of the quest for personal glory pumps all. It's just something that, that kind of tribalism, like I said, it certainly exists in the gaming world, but I, I don't think we could ever see it to the degree that it does in the sports world. Even if you talk about, don't forget things, that the biggest tribalism that exists in the gaming world is the whole console war thing. Yeah, and but even that it has significantly died. Uh, subsumed. Yeah, you know?
0: it's it subsided and also you can't attribute that to uh, to regionality, right? Like right. anybody from anywhere can back in the day have said, oh, you know, I, I personally like Sega better than Nintendo or I personally like Nintendo better than Sega. It wasn't like you were, uh, you know, geographically bound to one or the other and, right. there- and therefore could not. Uh, you know, uh, separate yourself and go to the other side without, you know, coming – without looking like a, a Benedict Arnold type. Um, so, we, you know, that's that's an advantage that games will always have over over sports, specifically sports. And I don't want anyone to think that we're picking on sports. We're just pointing out how games can – games and sports – uh, share a lot of similarities and can be used to bring people together in a lot of ways but video games will always have a slight advantage because of you know just the way sports uh you know, was out. was birthed yeah. uh in general as as like a regional thing uh you know without that working against it frankly with in the video game world video games will always have a, a slight advantage over it in terms of um community building so that yeah uh, in conjunction with uh you know the interactivity of games um and you know it in, increasing uh social unrest in Japan and the United states and everywhere uh and you know it makes That's very the, interesting yeah and the rise of the rise of Indian mobile and everything like that all these things are culminating in uh you know people people looking at ways um to use them for social change because they they haven't really proven themselves to be uh prohibitive of such a concept.
1: Absolutely not. Right. So Where it's not prohibitive, people are gonna make the sense. Yep. And I think it's gonna be very interesting to see.
0: Yeah, so lots to check out. And uh, in the meantime, watch the baseball postseason and root for Houston, Hustletown. Hustletown, yeah. I kinda Take I kinda like Houston. I I, I think uh I think that's who I'm rooting for. I think I'm rooting for
1: Houston. Or anytime it goes by Hustle Town, you might as well. You, you can't really hate on that. Yeah, I
0: mean, um, they've never won a World Series. Um, they uh, they've got the most impressive beards. Um, I'm, I'm serious. They they do. Um, look up uh, Dallas Keuchel. He's um, He's probably in the running for the National League Cy Young Award this year and he totally blanked the Yankees last night and uh that dude that dude's a that dude's a great pitcher. So oh, and uh the hockey season starts today. So go Islanders. Woo-hoo! But so that's it. That's it for this week, I think. Yeah, that is. That is um we will uh catch you guys next week. Go uh go Astros. Eight pound? Later.